The Seahawks moved back to 500, winning a 48 to 45 shootout over the Detroit Lions at Ford Field on Sunday. It's our Monday musing segment. We're going to break down a bunch of in-depth takeaways coming out of a big win for the Seahawks on the road on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, joining me for our Monday Musings episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Hope all the 12s are still buzzing after that big win in Detroit yesterday, and thanks as always for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Geno Smith putting together maybe the best game of his NFL career in yesterday's win, and he's off to a historic start. We're going to revisit Seattle's quarterback decisions after four games and maybe give Pete Carroll and John Schneider a little bit of praise for the choice that they made here a quarter of the way through the 2022 season. We're going to answer your mailbag questions and our Monday musings, in-depth takeaways on offense, defense, and special teams coming out of yesterday's thrilling 48-45 to victory at Ford Field. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. I know it's only been four weeks in the 2022 season since there's now 17 games, not quite to the quarterway mark of the season, but Geno Smith continues to play at a very high level for the Seattle Seahawks. And looking back at the decision that Pete Carroll and John Schneider made moving on from Russell Wilson in March, not going out and getting Baker Mayfield, not drafting a quarterback, opting to go with Geno Smith, who had been the backup for Russell Wilson the last three seasons. Rob, suddenly that decision is looking like a pretty wise one. In fact, you might want to give the Seahawks after four games an A- minus for how they orchestrated this. It looks like maybe Carol and Schneider knew what they were doing here. Yeah, I think I think they, there's so much credit to uh, you know kind of give a lot of people. I mean, if you want to give that credit to Pete Carroll or John Schneider or Shane Waldron or certainly Geno Smith, um, I think that the way that Seattle matches up with that three tight end sets and, and the the fact that they are really taking advantage of Geno Smith's mobility, all of those bootlegs. I mean, those are relatively easy passes, but. Again, let's give it off of credit to Shane Waldron there with the types of plays that he is making. But I think the one that you got to give the credit to mostly is number seven. Geno Smith is making some pinpoint passes. There's yeah. some Hall of Famers that have never had the efficiency that Geno Smith is throwing the football right now. Pete Carroll talked about it during the season, that, that or the preseason, excuse me, in which he said that maybe they've got to find themselves a little bit of a point guard. Well, my goodness, Gary Payton was not better at, at throwing passes and giving easy layups to his teammates than the way that, that Geno Smith has to this point. I mean, you can say what you will about the level of competition with the Detroit Lions specifically, um, you know, and, and as you mentioned, Corb. I mean, this is only four games into the year, but my goodness, all those critics of Geno Smith, you know, I, I think that right now they got to be eating a little bit of crow because Geno Smith has been terrific, you know, 
Previously, on Mondays, you and I, sir, have been talking about who are some of the quarterbacks that the Seahawks should be scouting right now. We've thrown that segment out the window because Geno Smith has forced our hand. I mean, he has played that well. So, again, I think there's a lot of credit to be given out there, but none of whom deserve more than Geno Smith. Yeah, I think you got to give the player the credit after being a backup for the last seven years and having such a long gap between starting opportunities and to play the way that he has. Obviously, week two in San Francisco was a struggle, still completed a high percentage of passes, but really there was just a rough game for the offense entirely, but played really well for the most part against Atlanta. And then yesterday, 320 passing yards, completing more than 75% of his passes, two touchdowns. He had 49 rushing yards and a touchdown. I mean, he was wheeling and dealing. He was scrambling. He was making smart moves at the line of scrimmage and calling audibles, including to one of those touchdown runs by Rashad Penny. I'm sure we'll get to more on that later in the show. But just looking at where he stacks up right now, and nice little disclaimer from my Twitter feed here, make sure you're following me at Corbin Smith NFL. But where Geno Smith stacks up to the rest of the NFL right now, Rob, he's 10th in passing yards. He's fifth in yards per attempt, 7.9. First, 77.3% completion rate. Six touchdown passes, maybe not a great number after four games, but it's still tied for fifth with some players such as Aaron Rodgers. And his passer rating of 108 is just a couple ticks below Patrick Mahomes in third place in the NFL. And to put this into perspective, those on YouTube, you're going to see a lot of graphics here that are going to showcase why Geno Smith is off such a quick start here for the Seattle Seahawks. But I mentioned that 77.3% completion rate. Rob, it is the highest percentage by a quarterback through his first four games in NFL history by more than a full percent ahead of Kyler Murray, who actually set that mark last season. And you look at the other players in the top 10. Drew Brees is on there twice, one of the all-time greats. Russell Wilson in 2020, that incredible start he had at the beginning when the Seahawks were letting Russ cook. And then you have Peyton Manning, his record-breaking 2013 season with the Denver Broncos. Phillip Rivers had a great year for the Chargers in 2013. Derek Carr, 2020, had a phenomenal season, maybe the best year of his career you just look at all of these numbers and the big names on here. This is elite company for Geno Smith to have at the quarterback position after four games. And obviously not all of his numbers stack up compared to the rest with just six touchdown passes, but 77.3% after four games. And he's been throwing the ball a fair amount, had a game with 40 pass attempts, 23 for 30 yesterday. I mean, he is just wheeling and dealing and fun fact, Rob, seven of the nine other players in the top 10 were pro bowlers. Three of them were either first or second team all pro selections. So those players that are on that list, generally they were able to carry that play through the rest of the season and had strong seasons. Some of them MVP caliber seasons. So not something to scoff at when we're talking about the start that Geno Smith has had here for Seattle. Yeah, I mean, and I don't expect that Geno Smith is actually going to be competing for MVP honors, all pro honors, pro bowl honors, frankly. But I also think that he has certainly proven himself that he's not just a backup that has suddenly given, been given this position. Uh, I think that he earned it through training camp. Uh, you know, he has been spectacular. I mean, it's just the, the caliber of throws that he is attempting and completing is spectacular. You know, I, I think that 
it, it's really easy to just suggest those who have not watched every single snap the way that you and I have, the way that many of our listeners have, uh, you know, but to suggest that he's just throwing the ball at the DK and DK Metcalf is just doing DK Metcalf type of things. In, in reality, he is simply taking full advantage of the, the unique talent that Seattle has. There are very few linebackers or safeties who can handle Seattle's tight ends. Five of his six touchdown passes so far have gone to the tight ends. Now, could the NFL catch up to him? You, you mentioned some of the other quarterbacks on that list who maybe started off hot, but then kind of fizzled down the stretch. But again, those aren't guys who were former backups. Those are guys who were drafted number one overall or went to multiple Pro Bowls throughout their career. So it is pretty heady company that Geno Smith has found himself in. I think that it also, again, is a little bit of a reflection of the way that Shane Waldron is calling this offense and the talent around Geno Smith. But as we talked about a moment ago, the greatest credit has to go to Geno Smith. And, and you said it, his ability to read the defense at the line of scrimmage and be able to make adjustments has been critical. So it's been his mind, it's been his arm, and not only in terms of arm strength, but accuracy, and it's been his feet. I mean, he's bought himself some time. He's been willing to run uh, when maybe some of the previous quarterbacks have not been willing to run. Uh, you know, and, and so I have been just thoroughly impressed by Geno Smith. I was among those who thought that Gina would struggle a little bit. Uh, and, and instead, he has absolutely silenced me and many other critics. And I'm always rooting for the player, whether they play for Seattle or anywhere else. And so I just hope that he continues this spectacular play because uh, it has been that that's the word that I would use. It has been spectacular. I'm excited to see how much farther he can go with this. We're not going to know who won the Russell Wilson trade until several years from now because the Seahawks are going to get first and second round picks next year for the Denver Broncos. They're most likely going to be drafting their quarterback. But really quick, before we move on to our mailbag, I'm not going to sit here and declare the Seahawks have won this trade. But I do think through four games that we have seen enough to know there was one move the Seahawks chose not to make that's looking pretty smart, and that is not bringing in Baker Mayfield. Look at the numbers for Mayfield so far in Carolina completing less than 55% of his passes, just four touchdowns and three interceptions, quarterback rating of 75 near the bottom of the league among qualified starters. Now, obviously, there's a good chance that he's going to improve upon that. He's a better player than those numbers indicate. The, the Panthers are not a very good football team, and maybe in Seattle he'd be having a lot more success. But Geno's numbers far superior in every major category there. So again, at least through a quarter of the season, it looks like the Seahawks – a lot of people scoffed at the idea of going with Geno Smith as the starter. And so far, compared to those other two teams we mentioned, the Broncos and the Panthers that had quarterbacks either were on the Seahawks or could have been on the Seahawks, uh, right now Geno Smith is vastly outplaying both of them. We'll see if he can keep it up. Maybe he falls back to earth against New Orleans this week. But right now, so far, early returns, very promising for the Seahawks with their quarterback decision. We're going to get to our mailbag segment coming up here in a moment here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. We've got a great NFC West Monday night matchup on tap tonight, and I'm predicting that Debo Samuel, the San Francisco 49ers, is going to eclipse 125 all-purpose yards in primetime. Those might seem like bold leaps against the Super Bowl defending champion Los Angeles Rams, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than the prize picks projections, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. 
No competing against other people. It's just you versus their projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. This includes the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, PGA, college football, NASCAR, MMA, boxing, and more. You want to bet disc golf? You can do it. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. It's that safe. And it is that fast for withdrawals. Currently operational in 30 states as well as Canada. So download the Prize Picks app or go to PrizePicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match of up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. So that means that if you deposit $100, Prize Picks is going to match you with another $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks is going to match that with $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on. Sign up now for instant deposit match of up to $100. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday Musings Edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen. Five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. As you mentioned, Rob, we've been doing a lot of college quarterback talk on Mondays, but it's been at the expense of our mailbag segment. A lot of our listeners have been asking, why haven't you been answering any of our questions? Well, we're sorry about that, and we're going to make up for it today with a Monday mailbag. Several questions from you, the 12s, coming out of yesterday's win in Detroit. Plenty of quarterback questions as well. So we're going to get to it. First question here directly for Rob Coming from Robin Solari, tweets, do you think they will add help to this defense in the way of trading or signing anyone? Cornerback seems good, but the rest of the defense, eek face emoji. I think that sums it up perfectly for what we've seen these first four games. Well, you know, I, I don't know that there's any specific players out there that uh, that we want to mention. I mean, uh, you know, Harvey Lange, a linebacker, was just released from the New England Patriots. And, and so if, if you want to pick on a position that I think of as an area of concern, then, uh, you know, I think that that might be a player that you want to at least kick the tires on. Um, you know, there's some pass rushers out there that I think might be able to give you a little bit more boost in that regard. Um, you know, I, I watched the... Uh, you know, the interview with Pete Carroll today, Corbin, I, I heard you kind of ask about Jamal Adams and and how Seattle has adjusted their defense. Uh, you know, I, I think that, that Seattle was anticipating that they would have a superstar pass rusher that obviously now they don't have. So I, I do think that Seattle is going to continue to look under every nook and cranny. You have to when you're giving up yards and points the way that Seattle is. But at the same time, I don't feel that there are any players available right now that are just so obvious possible Seahawk players. I, I think that what you're seeing on defense is the same thing that you're seeing in the offensive tackle position. You're seeing a youth movement. It's going to take time when you make this kind of transition. And, and so I'm excited to see if the, if Seattle is going to be able to kind of right the ship the way that they have done several years now in a row. Yeah, we're going to have to see if they can get that second half mojo going. It's only week four, though. And so it may be a little too early based on history for the Seahawks to start playing better defense. But fans can hope that it's going to happen earlier. Next question from Christopher tweets, do you see the Seahawks trading away a bunch of their corners at the trade deadline because we have a lot of them? So I have a definite answer for this. I don't see the Seahawks moving any of their corners right now because – Tariq Woolen's playing really well, but based on what I've seen the last couple of games, Mike Jackson's had his moments, but he also got picked on some yesterday, and the Lions were missing their top two wide receivers. 
So that's not necessarily encouraging. I didn't think Sidney Jones looked very good. The couple quarters that he played some snaps, his first defensive snaps this year, did not look necessarily like he did last year. Maybe he just needs more snaps to get back in a rhythm. Uh, but he didn't necessarily look good. But you believe in those two guys if they have to play for you. You've got Trey Brown coming back soon. Artie Burns has yet to play a game for the Seahawks. Sounds like he is very close. He practiced all last week, and they still held him out. So they have bodies there, but injuries happen to that position a lot. I would be surprised unless somebody comes with a pass rusher or a linebacker and says, hey, we need a corner. Can you send us Sidney Jones? And then maybe John Schneider will listen. But right now, I don't think they're going to be in a rush to trade away any of that depth that they have because, quite frankly, it's refreshing. They haven't had much depth of that position the last couple of years. To have some now, I think, is a good problem to have. I don't know that John Schneider is going to be rushing to get rid of any of those players. Jerry Sweet tweets, what if Geno Smith continues to play like this? Would Seattle consider sticking with him and using next year's picks at other positions? I think it's a little early, Rob, to jump to this. And yet at the same time, if Gino can play anywhere close to what he did the last two weeks and he does that for a full season, <laughs> I, I do think John Schneider and Pete Carroll suddenly have more flexibility with what they do in the draft. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if he continues to play at this level, you absolutely are going to be using those draft picks in other positions. Uh, you know, you as you just said in, in answering your last question, it's a good problem to have i mean i think the seattle is fully anticipating when they made that trade with the denver broncos that they were going to be using one of those first round picks on a quarterback and perhaps even packaging those picks to move up to the very very top of the drop if they had a guy that they really fell in love with but if Geno smith continues to play at this level i mean oh my goodness wouldn't you love to use those picks on positions of other concerns uh, you know, so to me, that, I, I realize that's a little bit of a, of a cop-out answer, but I think it's also just reflecting how well that, that Geno Smith has played to this point. Um, and, and the fact that, that, that you know, things do change. That, that's what makes sports so much fun. Um, so, yes, do I expect that Seattle is going to be selecting a quarterback perhaps very, very early next year? I absolutely do. I have watched more quarterback play this year than I have in my entire time uh, that I've been covering the draft. That's for 20 plus years now with the anticipation that Seattle would be using one of those early picks on a quarterback. But again, Geno Smith has surprised me. I want to see him continue it. There's no doubt in my mind that playing a New Orleans Saints defense that I think is one of the best in the league is definitely a step up from the Detroit Lions. I think that New Orleans is the best defense that Seattle has played this so far. And I would throw in, you know, obviously they play the 49ers. They play the Denver Broncos. I think this is a really stiff test for them. But if Geno Smith continues to surprise people and continues to lead Seattle to victories, then yes, I think that Josh Allen and Pete Carroll's plans are going to be changing as well. Yeah, that's one question. I think it's way too early to be jumping to any conclusions. But at the same time, the way Geno's playing... You know, John Schneider might be sitting there thinking, I'm playing with house money, but if he plays the whole season, I might be spending that money to keep Geno Smith, and then I can go fill other positions early in the draft. So we'll have to wait and see. Kevin Kelly tweets, which free agent inside linebacker would be an immediate upgrade over Cody Barton? So I'm just going to throw this out because you already mentioned it, Rob. There's not necessarily, when you're talking week four, week five, you're not going to find game-changing difference makers typically on the free agent market. You're just not. Those players are on another roster or they're retired. You're not going to be going out and getting a big-name player that can help you. At the same time, I've thrown this name out a few times. 
Blake Martinez has played in a 3-4 defense with the Green Bay Packers. So he's got experience in a scheme like this. This is a guy that has racked up 100-plus tackles multiple seasons in the NFL. He's been a pro bowler. He is coming off of a significant injury a year ago. The Giants kind of surprisingly opted to cut him during training camp, and I don't believe he has been signed to this point by anyone. He hasn't played a down yet this year. Not an old player necessarily. Maybe he's still dealing with some repercussions from that knee injury that he suffered and he isn't quite right. But that would be a name that I would have already brought in for a workout with the way that Barton has played the last couple of weeks just to kick the tires a little bit and see where he fits. I'm going to throw another name out here. I know the question is about linebacker, but we mentioned the scheme stuff. And if Seattle is wanting to play nickel and dime packages where a safety can come down and play in the box, which Jamal Adams could have done easily with his skill set if healthy, Landon Collins is going to visit the New York Giants who originally drafted him. He was a pro bowler and an all pro for the New York Giants. I don't think Landon Collins is in the prime of his career anymore, but Landon Collins is that linebacker type safety that can play in the box, can hit people. And I really think that's the strength of his game now, not necessarily covering people at his age now, not an old player necessarily, but he's been in the league for a while. He's had some injuries that, that would be a player if the Seahawks have an opportunity to bring him in. The Giants might sign him quickly and bring him back to New York. But if he leaves without a contract, I'm kicking the tires on that one because I think he could play the scheme that the Seahawks are wanting to do. Maybe not at Jamal Adams' level, but he can play it at a high level still, even at this stage of his career. So I throw that name out there because if they're not wanting to play a lot of base defense – and you're looking for a safety that can play like a linebacker, Landon Collins is easily the best one available that's still out there on the free agent market. Last question for you, Rob, coming from Javon tweets, do you think Seattle has an inherent advantage this weekend with New Orleans not having a bye week after playing in London? That's actually a really good question because typically when teams play overseas, they do have the next week off. The Saints don't have that luxury. They don't have that luxury, but of course, Seattle just tran- or just uh, traveled to Detroit and back. Uh, New Orleans lost on a doink, doink, kind of a missed field goal at the very end there. So they easily could have had, uh, you know, a very successful week in London. So no, I don't think that Seattle has any type uh, of advantage here. I think that it is a difficult week for the New Orleans Saints, but I also think that they are aggressive and angry and, and in need of a win. And they also did not have some of their absolute best players on that team participate in, in that game against the Vikings. They didn't have Jameis Winston, didn't have Kamara, didn't have Michael Thomas. Uh, you know, I think the Saints are going to be very, very hungry for an opportunity uh, to right the ship, so to speak. Um, and, and so I think that this is going to be a very physical game and Seattle had better buckle their chin straps. I don't think that Seattle has any advantages in this game, except for the fact, again, they are coming off the victory and they have a quarterback who is playing as well as any in the entire NFL. And the last question for me coming from Brian tweets, when Trey Brown returns, do you put him at left cornerback to replace Mike Jackson or is he in the slot? So Rob, we actually kind of semi-explored this last week when Pete Carroll said that Brown was getting close to returning at least to practice. I still think slot looks intriguing, but Kobe Bryant forced a fumble yesterday. He's been coming up with some big plays each of the last two weeks and Maybe he's your long-term answer there. So they might not want to make a change up at that position. Meanwhile, Mike Jackson gave up a touchdown yesterday. He missed a few tackles the last couple of games. Sidney Jones didn't look great 
the drives that he had. So maybe the Seahawks go right back to having Trey Brown on the outside. Maybe that's your long-term starting solutions, having Trey Brown and Tariq Woolen playing across from each other, different body types, different playing style, different athletic attributes, but both really good football players with high ceilings. So Right now, I think that you could put a blindfold on and throw a dart at a dartboard when it comes to where Trey Brown's going to be at because they do have a lot of depth there. And so Seattle's going to have to figure out where is the best spot for him to compete coming off of this injury. Maybe it's a slot with Kobe Bryant not having a lot of experience there, Justin Coleman battling injuries, being an older player. Maybe it's on the outside if they're not happy with the way the left corners are playing. That's why they're doing a rotation. You know Pete wants to have a guy that plays all the snaps over but they had guys rotating at that position. That tells me he doesn't necessarily think he has a starter there yet. So that may very well be Trey Brown's position when he comes back. That's really a wait-and-see proposition, though. When we return, it's Monday Musings, in-depth takeaway time. After yesterday's 48-45 win over the Detroit Lions, we're going to be looking at offense, defense, and, of course, special teams coming up next year on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. Ready? Delicious, indulgent cookie dough. Covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks. And of course, cookie dough chunk puff covered in 100% real chocolate. You get all the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. Plus, it's healthy for you, 160 calories and a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. Run to Built.com to snag a box for you and the family. It'll be the perfect treat, or you can find a really good hiding place like I like to do and just hoard them for yourself. What's great about Built is that all their bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. You are going to love the new cookie dough chunk puff. Whether you need a snack for your workout, a late-night treat, or just need to grab a quick bite, Built is the perfect protein bar, and they taste better than a candy bar. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON15 and get 15% off your order. Again, that's LOCKEDON15 at Built.com for 15% off your next order. You're listening to Locked On Seahawks Podcast, Monday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to have my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, joining me as always. Thanks to the 12s for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, don't forget to listen to the Peacock and Williamson podcast. Matt Williamson, as well as Brian Peacock, the two of them breaking down everything going on in the NFL in under 30 minutes is available on YouTube and all other major podcast platforms. All right, Rob, Monday Musings Times. We had a chance to look back at the film from yesterday's track meet. At Ford Field, the Seahawks winning 48-45. to Not a lot of defense in this game. There were a few big plays on the defensive side of the football, particularly for the Seahawks. But mostly it was a back-and-forth offenses doing whatever they want type of affair. Let's get to our Monday musings, our in-depth takeaways after reviewing the film. Let's start an offense. Rob, what's the first thing that jumps out to you? Looking at the way this offense played, clicking on all cylinders, and probably should have put up 51 points in this game. Yeah, I think, again, we, we talked about Geno Smith before, and that would be my my number one takeaway is just how masterful that, that Geno Smith has been. But again, because I already mentioned it, that I'm going to switch over to the position that I really think that Seattle has done a terrific job of getting involved, and that is specifically talking about that three-headed monster at the tight end position. You know, Corbin, Will Disley is tied with Travis Kelsey, 
and TJ Hawkinson and Mark Andrews, three guys who've already been to pro bowlers or been early first round picks in the case of Hawkinson to lead all of the NFL in tight ends, three touchdowns in four games. There's only a couple of wide receivers who have four touchdowns at this point. Kobe Parkinson has a couple of touchdowns as well. Noah Fant not only is making timely catches he's showing a little bit more physicality and just awareness of defenders around him as a blocker as well i think that the tight end play has been critical to geno smith's success it absolutely was critical in yesterday's uh you know performance from the running attack um and, and so to me that is my number one takeaway with, with a great deal of respect to rashad penny i think that he arguably could be named the MVP uh, of yesterday's win over the Lions. But I also think that if you take the entire season and, and look at that, I really think that Seattle's tight end play has been as good as any positional group from any team in all of the league. And that's saying quite a lot. This is a really good problem to have. And I know we've said that a lot of this show, but I mean, when you put up 48 points and probably should have put up 51 on offense, you're going to keep bringing that term up because the Seahawks, you look at all the players that were standouts yesterday, it's hard to pick more than, you know, or less than four or five guys and say, those are your standouts from this game. You mentioned Rashad Penny. All he did was run for 143 yards in the second half alone in yesterday's game, ripped off a couple long touchdown runs. He served the role of executioner in this game. He really did. I mean, Dan Campbell had to hate seeing number 20 get the football in his hands, especially after one of those touchdowns came courtesy of the play clock operator not doing their job or the play clock not working. You could blame on either one, but getting a redo and then Penny exploding for a 36-yard touchdown. It seemed like every time that the Lions crawled back into this game, that they fought, they scratched, they made it a three-point game, number 20 was ready to put the distance back up to 10. And every time he was putting nails into the coffin, eventually hammered it all the way in with that 41-yard touchdown around the two-minute warning. So, a fantastic game for Penny. Metcalf, 149 yards, third most in his NFL career. I mean, so many guys that were standouts. But to me, I've got to, I've got to talk about the running back, of course. Rashad Penny, I'm just going to say this right now. To me, this is not a hot take. The stats back it up. He is undisputably the number one most dynamic, dangerous running back in the NFL. There is not a player in the game right now when healthy. That's obviously the big caveat with Rashad Penny. But there is not a running back in the NFL that is more dangerous and more likely to take any handoff and wind up in the end zone. And I've got stats here to break it out here. This is the last two years, Rob. Rashad Penny, looking at the players with the most runs of 12 or more yards. Penny is eight on that list with 22. And by the way, he's played like half the games that a lot of guys on here have. And there's three quarterbacks. That tells you the era that we're playing in now in the NFL. But look at this, 26.73 yards per attempt on these 22 runs of 12 or more yards. That is easily the highest mark in the league. And oh, by the way, Robbie also leads the NFL with six rushing touchdowns on these long runs. So not only is he as dynamic as anyone in the NFL when it comes to big, getting these uh, big chunk plays, but he knows how to find the end zone at the end of these two. When he's 230-plus pounds, he was clocked at almost 21 miles per hour on one of his touchdowns yesterday by NFL Next Gen at 230-plus pounds. That just is not fair. So I'm just going to say it right now. He is the most dangerous 
back in the NFL when he gets the ball in his hands. He can take it the distance. We hear that time and time again with all the great athletes in the backfield. But stat-wise and film-wise, he is the most explosive back in the NFL right now. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, again, I think that kind of goes part and parcel with what we're talking about, the tight end position. That's one of the things that I think is really helping Seattle's offense, um, you know, kind of continue to evolve. And, and so that kind of you know ties in with what I would say is another uh, kind of observation from Seattle's victory over Detroit um, is the fact that I, I am encouraged by the baby steps that we're seeing by two other guys who, frankly, I've been you know kind of eager to see if they would be able to prove explosive playmakers for Seahawks for the Seahawks and that being a fellow running back and Ken Walker the third as well as the wide receiver D Eskridge I really thought that Ken Walker was going to wind up getting his very first touchdown uh in the NFL against the Lions they they uh you know there was I think it was in the third quarter where they were trying to give Walker the ball there down there in the red zone uh and, and then D Eskridge you saw some flashes to me that's what's exciting about this because that ought Seattle's offense, obviously, put up 48 points against anybody, then, then that's one heck of a day at the office. But it felt like it could have been that much more explosive. And, and so with Walker and D. Eskridge kind of showing a little bit of flashes, I, I will acknowledge it was baby steps. I'll acknowledge that it was against statistically the worst defense in the NFL. But still, at this point in the season, baby steps are still positive steps forward. And so that, to me, was one of the things that a lot of the national pundits are going to talk about because they don't watch the games like we do. But I'm encouraged by the the evolution uh, and the continued diversification uh, of Seattle's offense. And I think that you're going to see more play action. You're going to see more of a rotation at the running back position. And that is going to lead to big plays, I think, coming forward for D. Eskridge and Ken Walker III. Let's go to the defense now, shall we? And the tune is going to change a lot because while on offense, it's hard to find anything to gripe about with 555 yards and 48 points on the scoreboard. They did give up 45 points to the Detroit Lions who were missing their top running back and their top two receivers. They had two, three announced to open the game and yet they gave up nine points on those two drives. And not all that was their fault, uh, as we'll get to here in a little bit, but I'm just going to say this. You and I probably view this a little bit differently. When you give up 45 points, there's not much to be happy about on defense. But oddly enough, I actually am more, am I more encouraged coming out of this game than I was the, the Falcons game last week because it felt like, aside from a couple of runs, that the run defense was much better. They still had a couple breakdowns that they absolutely have got to get cleaned up. You gave up a 51-yard touchdown run, but you take that out of the equation. I thought most of the game they did a good job against Jamal Williams and bottled him up. They only missed six tackles, which is a big upgrade over what they've had the first three games. Those missed tackles came at the worst possible times, and one of them being that 51-yard touchdown run. They had two missed tackles on that play alone. So there's still some run-fit issues. you still got to clean the tackling up, get a little bit better there, but you had a pick six. You had a forced fumble that you generated. There were a few flashes with the pass rush. It just seems like they can't stop shooting themselves in the foot. The untimely penalties are giving up a fake pass punt conversion for a first down. Just little things like that. And then your punt returner fumbles, and then you're back on the field, and the Lions are almost in the red zone. You give them a touchdown the next play. Like There's some things that are going against them from a luck standpoint, but – 
there's so many things they got to clean up. And yet at the same time, it felt like they were a lot closer on a lot of the big plays they gave up. It just feels like they're getting closer to having this righted, even though the numbers and some of the tape doesn't suggest that. There's a lot to not be happy about, but I guess I'm more optimistic after watching the film that they are making progress. And there were some positive signs yesterday, despite all the yardage and points that they ended up giving up. I would agree with you. And I think that the, the most glaring bright spot on defense continues to be Tariq Woolen. Oh my yeah. goodness. He has just been spectacular. I mean, he he's given up some receptions. Um, you know, there, there are times where he doesn't locate the football quite as quickly as I would like, but it just seems like, like this guy is making plays game after game, whether it be the block kick, whether it be the, the pick six uh, here recently. Um, you know, I think that we got to start talking about defensive rookie of the year honors um, for, for Tariq Woolen at this point. And he's not going to get that type of attention nationally speaking. He's going to, or if he is, then he's going to have to continue to make big plays, pick six type of plays. Because again, with Seattle's defense giving up the points that they are, no one nationally is going to be looking at a cornerback, which is the most rare of positions to actually earn the hardware when it comes to defensive rookie of the year. But at the same time, Tariq Woolen has been absolutely special. I'm really excited to see what he is able to do moving down the stretch. And, and I would actually extend that to all of the Seattle's rookies. We, we talked a lot about the tackles. We talked a lot about Kobe Bryant, uh, you know, a, a, as well as Boye Mafe and the encouraging play from him as, as well. It, it just really has been a terrific class so far, knock on wood, so far for the Seahawks and their 2022 draft class. And that is what is all the more encouraging, in my opinion, with the fact that Seattle is going to come into the 2023 NFL draft with those four picks in the top two rounds, obviously having uh, Denver's first and second round picks as well. Real quick, let's get some special teams observations in. It was a tough day for the special teams units. I'm just going to say this right now, and it's not because I don't think Tyler Lockett can be an effective punt returner, because that's not the case. We know that Tyler Lockett, he's one of the best kick and punt return specialists that's ever worn a Seahawks uniform. But I'm just going to say this right now. Get him off of special teams. He's now 30 years old, almost 30 years old. He is one of your top offensive playmakers. Every time that he returns a punt, my heart goes down into my stomach because you're just thinking he's going to get hurt. He's going to he's going to take a big hit. And I know he's a master at avoiding big hits, but like there's no way that the Seahawks can be comfortable with throwing him out there for those extra plays with all the money they have invested, how important he is to this offense. And then he coughed up that fumble after the Seahawks got a three and out in their first defensive possession, which they had one of those in their three first games combined. So they hadn't been doing that. You're getting off the field, and yet he coughs the football right back to them. I just think that's all the more reason now. Okay, that was a mistake. Not the end of the world. You're still one of our best players, but – Let's put somebody else back there, whether that's D. Eskridge or if you make Derek Young active and he becomes your punt returner, find some other special teams roles for him. Maybe one of your corners can do it. Whatever you choose to do, I just am getting Tyler Lockett off of special teams because I want to preserve him and I want him to play all out on offense, taking any extra shots on special teams to me the risk outweighs the pros of it at this point. I just I think especially after the fumble yesterday, Go get somebody else back there that can be a punt return specialist and let Tyler Lockett focus on offense. 
Well, and it's kind of funny that you you want Tyler Lockett to focus in on offense. I, I'd like Michael Dixon not to have to punt, just like he never complete or never attempted a single punt for the Seahawks against Detroit Lions. I think that maybe we give him a different job. Maybe he should be in charge of driving DK Metcalf, uh, you know, to the the restroom <laughs> facilities. Should that be necessary? I mean, make sure that the man has some type of job uh, just to keep him involved in the game. But with all due respect, uh, you know, I, again, what what I I, what I mean by that is how refreshing was it to have an entire game where throughout the entire offseason, everybody questioned, myself included, everybody questioned if Seattle was going to be able to score points consistently, be able to drive the football, and to never have a single punt. Again, kind of tongue-in-cheek comment there about Michael Dixon driving the cart for DK Metcalf, but still, just there's a lot of folks for the Seahawks, including on special teams that deserve an awful lot of credit for that. And so uh, I, I'm excited to see Michael Dixon back on the field for the Seahawks, but it's always cool when you don't have to punt the ball a single time in an NFL game. That's the first time in franchise history in a regular season game, the Seahawks have got a full game without punting. And the even better part is none of those possessions ended with a turnover either. The only time that they didn't come away with points was Jason Myers kicking a field goal that looked like it was at Soldier Field with the wind shooting it to the left side. I mean, that was the worst miss indoors I think I've ever seen in an NFL game. So I don't know what the hell happened on that play. But I digress. Michael Dixon did not punt at all in this game. It'd be cool to make that something that happens semi-regularly. He only punted once when they played the Lions last year, too. So maybe it's just a Lions thing. The Seahawks have a lot of success on offense when they face the Lions, regardless of what stadium they play. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. We'll be back tomorrow. We will have our Tell the Truth Tuesday takeaways, last look at Sunday's win against the Lions. And then we're going to take a look at what's new with the New Orleans Saints heading into Week 5 action. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.